0: Welcome to Primer, a podcast that gets you closer to the heart of the matter. As you may know, the Primer is a small cap at the base of ammunition that when struck by a firing pin goes bam. It ignites the gunpowder and sends the bullet downrange. The point of the podcast is like that, to get you going in the right direction quickly by briefly tackling a variety of subjects like books, people, events, issues, whatever. After listening, if you want to take it further, you can. Episodes and more information can be found at personalprimer.com. Hey everyone, this is Charlie Thornton, and welcome to the Personal Primer podcast. Recently I got a chance to catch up with a very interesting guy, Joe Byerly. Joe is an officer in the U.S. Army who served as a special advisor to the U.S. Special Operations Command in Afghanistan. He's also the recipient of the Army's General Douglas MacArthur Leadership Award, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Joe is a contributing author to a number of different books, and he's also the founder of From the Green Notebook, which is a really cool and very popular website where Joe and other leaders share lessons with their military peers uh, across the the country. Joe's an avid reader, and he's a student of history, and he recently read the biography Grant by Ron Chernow uh, about General Ulysses S. Grant. And that's actually what sparked this conversation about how we may be learning the wrong lessons from historical figures. Let's listen in.
1: Everybody knows U.S. Grant, the Civil War hero, U.S. Grant, the um, you know the, the president, the two-term president. And some people, you know, even know that Grant wrote memoirs, which which are a classic that um, that Mark Twain helped get published. Uh, But what a lot of people don't know, and I think is very important, is the backstory. You know, like it wasn't, he wasn't destined to be a a Civil War hero or U.S. president. And so one of the things that struck me when I was reading the book was, uh, you know, in in the uh, the 1850s, um, Grant was a, a young, newly commissioned officer, and he had a drinking problem. And it wasn't like, you know, he was throwing back some beers before work in the morning and then going and being a functioning alcoholic. But it was when he was drinking, you know, at a social function, he just couldn't stop. And uh, Grant was typically a very reserved guy, um, very quiet gentleman. But when he drank, he would just start, you know, his, his character, his character got kind of crazy. You know, he was the, the wild guy at the, the Christmas party with the lampshade on their head. And so, um, You know, this eventually got him in some hot water, so much so that his commander had him sign a letter of resignation um, or had him write his own letter of resignation, um, not put a date on it. Um, And I think he even had him sign it, you know, ahead of time, just didn't date it. Instead, if you get drunk one more time, all right, and uh, embarrass yourself, then you're resigning from the United States Army. And so, of course, uh, Grant did. Uh, he got had a little too much to drink and uh, and and had to leave the army, and so he had to go back home with his wife and uh, you know he was raising two children, two boys, and he just tried to make it in the civilian world. He tried uh, his hand at a couple different jobs, tried to start some businesses, and all those were failing. And so at, at 38 years old,
0: so how, how old are you, Charlie? I'm I'm gonna be 38 in a few months. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm 39. So like, think about like where you're at in your life right now. And, you know, I think about where I'm at. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, having to call my parents up and be like, Hey, mom, dad, like, I'm struggling. I need you to take the wife and kids, we're going to move back home and, and try to get get my feet under me. And so that's exactly what Grant did. Wow. So he went back to his hometown where his dad had a store. And, uh, and Grant at 38 years old, got a job working in the store as a clerk, um, you know, got a small little house <clears throat> and, uh, and was just trying to start over, like I said, get his, get his feet under him.
0: So it was like and a pretty so, pretty low level job.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, just imagine the, uh, you know, as I was reading this, I was trying to put myself in his shoes and just, you know, having to, you know, just kind of suck up all that pride that you have um, yeah. and it kind of admitting that like your life isn't going, going where you thought it would be.
0: Cause, and this was a guy, I mean, I'm assuming he went to, what, West Point or something? He did, yeah. Which, I mean, certainly now, and I'm assuming then ha- carried some prestige with it, right?
1: It did, yeah. For his father, that was a huge, you know, um, source of pride was his son being a, a West Point graduate and being a United States Army officer. And so it was a big deal, you know? And so, you know, Grant's here he is back, back hometown, like having a... Having to start over and so the year was 1859 okay. and as you know in 1861 the civil war kicks off and uh you know the union army has to to greatly expand just lost uh, all the confederate states and so here's grant's chance at uh, at redemption and to come back in and uh, w- what's interesting is that you know he recognized what what how he messed up the first time like, like he's like i'm gonna learn um from this mistake and so uh, his chief of staff um, was kind of like his Jiminy Cricket uh, conscience, you know. And so hmm. he was very uh, defensive over Ulysses um, Grant. And, and he made sure that alcohol wasn't around him. And he was very, even so much so that uh, there was a point where Grant got drunk, um, like much later into the war when things were going really well. And he basically gets a letter from his chief of staff being like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, I, I didn't sign up, um, you know, to, to follow you along the course of the war uh, for you to make mistakes like this. And, you know, you were successful, um, you know, previously in the war, like you got to this point because you hadn't been drinking, you know, you've, you've, you've been staying true to yourself. So between his chief of staff and when his wife would visit the camp, um they kind of kept him from from alcohol cuz cause he, cause he knew he had a weakness for it and so that was yeah that was one of the you know one of the things that he made sure he did was have something in place to keep him from doing
0: that how cuz uh, you know, i'm a civilian right so in a in a military context how much courage does that take for a chief of staff to call somebody out like that is that is that the norm is that unique yeah, it takes a lot of personal courage. Like even even
1: back then, and even today, it, w- it would take a lot of courage um, for somebody to have to. I mean, essentially, you're standing up to your boss, yeah, and saying, "Hey, sir, like you're wrong, and here's why."
0: Like he could have fired this guy if he wanted.
1: He could have, yeah. yeah. And 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 um, you know, it's. It, I think it took a lot on Grant's part to recognize that. Hey, this is my weakness, and this guy is here to to help me combat that weakness.
0: Got it interesting and then okay so so this guy would sort of keep him in line and then what the rest is history i mean he
1: yeah exactly he so war. yeah he <clears throat> he wins the war or he helps uh helps the north win the war ends up becoming uh becoming a president and um and then you know it, it's funny too because you know he went from this nobody i mean I, and nobody's failure, right, to, to Civil War general, to President of the United States. And so when he left, left the office, uh, he struggled with letting go of power. And so as a result of that, he was, he was still trying to chase that, that influence, still trying to chase, um, you know, being in the mix. And so it eventually led to him uh, getting into business with, with a, a young Bertie, Bernie Madoff. And so um, his business partner was using Grant's name uh, to get clients, and meanwhile uh, he was he was orchestrating one of the largest Ponzi schemes at the time. And so no, uh, when when the card deck eventually fell, like Grant was pennil- penniless, I think he had like eighteen dollars
0: to his name. And um, eventually, a former U.S. Uh, president. Yeah, and yeah, he's the, you know? and he's like. I mean, he's. I, I imagine he was a national hero. For he for was, his role and people were.
1: Yeah, people were actually like it was like the equivalent of a GoFundMe, um, in the late 1800s. People were actually sending him money, um, to help him, you know, pay the bills, because uh, people felt yeah. that bad for him. And it's it's funny too because, um, his you know friend, uh, uh Sherman when comes to Sherman, who was like one of his, uh, his go-to general throughout the war, uh, always questioned whether Grant was going to be able to make it, uh, you know, in the presidency, because you're no longer with soldiers, you're now with politicians, and uh, and his choices later on, you know, still chasing the money, still chasing the dream. And so there's a great quote he said about his friend, he said that, you know, all the millionaires that Grant tried to hang out with would have given their entire fortunes to just win one of Grant's battles. And yet here he is, you know, still trying to be a part of this crowd. And so eventually it led to his, uh, his financial ruin. And so thankfully Mark Twain came along and convinced him to, to write a biography. And he didn't need much convincing or his memoir. He didn't need much convincing because he needed something to, uh, to, to make sure his family was taken care of Um, when he passed away, because he had also just discovered that he had cancer, and so he wrote ferociously over the next, the last few years of his life to finish his, um, to finish his memoirs, and so, uh, so that's a, it's a great story, and I I think that, um, you know, again, what, what kind of drew me to this story is the messiness of Grant's life, but like, when I say Ulysses S. Grant, the first thing you think of is it's either general or president, you know, yeah, hero.
0: I mean, I think of like a a gruff dude, you know, war weary, making tough calls. I think of a badass, really.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, think, I think it's a two-dimensional view, right? Like it's just one aspect of Grant when there was, you know, as you as you look in the three-dimensional picture of the human, you know, the human being you know, you start seeing the flaws, you start seeing the messiness of his life. And I think it's within there that you can find, that's where you can really find the lessons that that you can pull from, uh, to be a better leader, a better father, a better husband. And so that's what, um, that's what I really appreciated from that biography.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. And so did he, so he gets these memoirs out and then did he, did he kind of die in a good place or like?
1: yeah the the cancer uh eventually uh it, it took him but it was pretty quickly like he even at, he was they didn't think he was actually going to finish the memoirs um like he got to a point where i, I believe he was like, like he, he started handwriting him at first but then as the uh as the cancer progressed he started he started dictating um and then was was barely barely getting it out uh before he passed away so i want to say he finished the manuscript and it wasn't much time after that. Uh, before he finally passed.
0: Got it. So, you mentioned that we we sort of have this two dimensional picture of this great war hero president, but we don't see all of the. I mean, he made, it sounds like the guy made a lot of bad decisions in his life, and we don't always yeah, we don't always see all those.
1: No, we don't. And it's almost it's it's we kind of do the same thing with with social media, with Facebook, with Twitter, with Instagram. You know, we see the, the picture-perfect, um, you know, these picture-perfect uh, manicured snapshots of our friends' and family's lives, and we don't see the rest of it, you know, and, and um, you know, there's even been studies that have shown that, like, depression and anxiety are much higher because that's what we focus on, and, and I think we do the same thing with our heroes, too, is we just focus on the the, the highlights of their lives, the you know, their, their successes, and we don't look into... The journey you know how they got there and and the mistakes they made along the way why
0: why do you think that happens i mean obviously facebook wasn't didn't affect us grant's legacy hopefully but like why would that why would that picture evolve so far from reality
1: i think it's just something that we that we've always done you know um plutarch wrote wrote about the lives of of great people and he wrote he wrote it i I believe in the first century and you know he talks about alexander's generals all started getting their haircuts and everything like alexander had you know just to 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 try to to imitate them but they didn't do all the the back work that alexander put into to being a great general um and, and so i think it's just a human thing like we want you know like life hacks are super popular like we want we want the shortcut yeah uh, you just see something and and we don't think about um you know the the journey that the people took to get there all the all the stuff that's on the cutting room floor you know there, there's another great example like bill belichick you know like he's a he's a great football coach and and uh, i think he's going to go down in history as, as one of the greatest i'm not a belichick fan um But just going to put that
0: disclaimer out there, by the
1: way, I should have said that up front. But what I think is fascinating is Bill, as a young assistant coach spent hours and hours and hours, like his job uh, was to to set the tape uh, footage for the other coaches to watch. And so that was a lot of watching film, cutting, taping it back together, because this was before the digital era. And so in doing that, Bill watched a lot of football. You know, he got to learn the game, the basics of the game, and so now, you know, flash forward, twenty, thirty years later, we see the Belichick that's the, uh, you know, that's won multiple Super Bowls. You know, and and that's that's the Belichick we focus on. We don't see the the young kid in there with scissors and and uh, scotch tape, um, you know, just slowly watching yeah. the game.
0: Because they probably did use scissors back then too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, you, you kind of think of like, just sort of feel like Bill Belichick's always been this way. So confident and, you know, he's kind of a rough around the edges or whatever. But I suppose he had to develop that acumen over time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, you know, that that's one of the things that I've just become obsessed. Not obsessed, but uh, I've just been very interested in reading biographies lately. Like, what's the backstory? Like, how did... How did somebody get from, from point A to point B? Um, you know, like, again, Stephen King, he's a, he's a prolific writer. You know, he's written, he just, it seems like he just, you know, produces a novel every, every year or so. Um, but Stephen King writes 500 words a day religiously, you know, regardless of time of year, uh, regardless of what's going on. Like, he's developed a habit over the years. But you, you know, you back up the timeline before that, uh, he, he got a lot of rejection notices when he first started writing. Mm. And um, eventually, like, he taped them up on the room, on the, uh, on the wall in his room. But they got so great that he took, like, a giant railroad spike and put it into the wall and just started stacking the rejection notices up. But, but through that process, he learned how to be a great writer.
0: Jeez. That's a lot of failure. A a railroad (laughs) spike is really long. (laughs) It is, Charlie. It is. But like, we don't,
1: we don't see that. We just, we skip right to the, to the success people have. And we don't think about uh, all the mundane, boring things that it takes to, to get to that point.
0: Okay. So what's the risk in that then?
1: I think the risk in that is we hold, we try to hold ourselves to like this super high standard without putting in the work to get to that. So it's like we're always going to meet failure. You know, like if, if you and I decided that we were going to go, you know, try out for the NBA and, uh, <laughs> and we, went, we went to a team tryouts tomorrow, you know, we would, we would fail and we would just keep, keep repeating this process over and over again. But what we, we didn't take into account is like the hours, um, you know, that so many of these players spent on the Saturdays. know just just perfecting their free throw or perfecting you know something as boring as dribbling right and so i i think that's a that's a huge problem that that we have is we just we just like fast forward to the end and we forget all that other stuff and so we're going to constantly be met with failure because we didn't put in the work to get there or um you know another thing that that i've learned in a lot of these biographies so you know going back to grant right like his failure with drinking, getting kicked out of the army was so, um, it was, it was such a, uh, a formative event in his life that, you know, that was something that was always in the forefront of of his mind was the effects of alcohol on thinking. And so, you know, coming up in the army, like his army that did really well, like he didn't even allow alcohol in the camps. I mean, it happened. Um, because, you know, soldiers will find a way to work around the system. Um, but, but he knew that, um, you know, this was something that affected judgment and affected people in such a way that if he wanted to be a winning general, uh, he would have to make sacrifices. And so you you look at a lot of the presidents of, you know, who've, who've led through tumultuous times, you know, again, like diving into their biographies, you know, uh, Roosevelt was a, a super sickly kid. Um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt Franklin yeah. Roosevelt you know was hit with polio early on in his political career and had to battle through, had to face the adversity of of going through the rehab and all that, you know which potentially set him up for the adversity he had to deal with as uh, as leading the United States through World War II. Um, so I think that's where we can learn from from these people, not necessarily in the uh, the end product, you know
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering why people are reluctant to tell those stories. I don't do they think it cheapens the the good things that people did if you see the underbelly of it or the or the warts or the the, the failures, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's a again. I think it's a human thing. Like, um, you know, in, in the military, I love like one of the questions. You know, like if you ask somebody, like, hey, how, how did you get to you know, how did you get to where you're at today, you know, or, you know, or, um, you know, ha- how did you get to be a commander of this unit? They'll start telling a story. And a lot of times, um, you know, the stories it's polished, right? Like, so that's all the good things that happened and, and what they tend to leave out or all the times they failed and all the times that things didn't go the way they wanted it to. Um, yet those actually ended up setting the stage for their future opportunities, you know?
0: So in that situation, you end up walking out with like the wrong checklist to achieve success.
1: Yeah, exactly. You walk away with the uh, the Facebook Instagram post with the with the really good filter. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and not the reality of the situation.
0: So it's if I want to be Alexander the Great, first thing on my checklist is haircut.
1: Haircut. Yep.
0: Yeah, and you because you can fake a haircut. Um. You can fake a lot of things, but I mean, back to your NBA analogy. If if we tried out for the NBA, it, would be, it wouldn't be good. At least on no. land, but um, you can't. I mean, I could buy the right shoes and wear the right clothes, but I can't fake the thousands of hours of and, and you know, God given talent or whatever.
1: Yeah, and and then the other thing too, I think that we we also do when we when we look at some of these historical figures, is that. don't like we don't think about the trade-off right like we don't think about all the things that they had to give up say no to 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 get to that point right so um another great example is is Frederick Douglass you know one of the greatest orders of the of the 19th century he did so much to to drive us to the point where we had the the Emancipation Proclamation um you know for for Blacks rights um and you know, to to he was an ardent abolitionist. But he also had, and he traveled that's the other thing, he traveled the world speaking. Like in the nineteenth century, he was one of the most recognized speakers in all the world, right? Really. And that's amazing thinking he came up as a slave and now here he is this famous person. But you know what we don't think about is that Frederick Douglass had a wife, he had several children, and if you're busy speaking to all these people, and you're traveling the world. What are you not
0: doing? Hanging out with the kids, hanging <laughs> yeah. out with the wife.
1: Yeah. So you know he he uh, he he neglected you know a lot of the the raise, He neglected the raising of his kids and kind of put that off on his wife. And so as a as a as a grown man, he spent a lot of time trying to right those wrongs, and he spent a lot of time. Um, trying to keep his his children supported who had a hard time standing on their own um, so he kind of he kind of paid for that later in life so I think that's a it's a big thing is like what are you willing to trade for greatness you know um, Bill Bradley you know the basketball great going back to uh, to the basketball you know he he would eight hours on a Saturday he would just sit there and shoot all day just practice Mm. Uh, when he was in high school I know when I was in high school on Saturdays like I was hanging out having a good time with my friends um I wasn't working on mastery of any craft and so um Bill gave those up you know for for his greatness so I think you know when you really start peeling peeling the stories back on all these people um that that did great things whether through leadership whether through inventing um, there's this backstory of things that they had to say no to, the, the trade-offs.
0: To say the big yeses, they had to say a lot of little no's Yeah, yeah, over and over I, and over again.
1: <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And yeah. sometimes the doors they closed worked out for them, and, so, and sometimes it
0: didn't. It's funny because as we're having this conversation, I keep getting this image of my high school Latin teacher in a toga giving the speech from julius caesar where he goes uh the evil that men do lives after them the good is often turd with their bones Ooh, and i don't know i don't know that's if that's deep. true It's deep <laughs> i don't know if it's what we're talking about but it seems like with a lot of these characters it's maybe the reverse right we have this shining image of them whether you know whether it's you know honest dave or george washington cutting down the apple tree or whatever but is that is that helpful ultimately to have that that sort of two-dimensional image and i think you've shared some really some really cool reasons why maybe it's not and why maybe a, a deeper look would actually help us get away from the haircuts and get toward the, the <laughs> underlying stuff that really matters
1: man that's a great way of putting it
0: charlie now, joe thank you so much this has been really enlightening and uh i hope we can do it again sometime yeah it'd be great thanks for having me charlie